Section 9. Escape. During my teenage years, I didn't just bath, I bathed. Even the violent percussion of the water hitting the porcelain tub, the sound bouncing off the tiles over and over again, made me begin to relax. The onslaught of noise was added to by the extractor fan, doing all it could to remove the moisture from the air as I added more and more to it. Filling the tub took a while, and I busied myself with finding the correct combination of coloured bath salts and bubble bath. A drawer in my bedroom was filled with scented tea lights. Where others poured their pocket money and after-school minimum wage earnings into video games or cheap chain store jewellery, I invested mine in cedarwood and lavender infusions, yellow-tinged freesia, and orange mandarin-scented candles. I'd select two or three of these and decide where they would go, each time was a decision. There was no standard places for them. The windowsill maybe, the corner of the bath for sure. The free candles would only give a little light, even taking into account the small size of the room. I'd first turn the light off. This powered the extractor fan too, and after a minute, I'd like to count it down quietly to myself. It would go off. I'd time it to turn the taps off at just the right moment and plunge the room into silence. I always made it too hot, but would never add more coal. I'd float, soaking in the silkiness of the bubble bath oils below, and feel the air getting more and more saturated above, where I'd stay for 30 or 40 minutes. I'd submerge myself, weightlessly, to push water into the overflow pipe, getting more space for more hot water to be added. One time, I don't know what caused it, I got so dizzy after getting out of the bath that I must have passed out. I sat on the floor to get my breath back and sometimes later, enough for the lily of the valley tea light to have burnt out completely, I woke up lying on the floor. I expect it was the heat and darkness of the room, but it never stopped me from doing it again just days later. In the quiet, I once heard my parents talking about me from the hallway beyond. Why does she take so long in there? His voice was frustrated, but hushed. He didn't mean to disturb me. He felt it was his fatherly obligation to be concerned about the water bill, but his heart wasn't in it enough to be truly annoyed. Leave her be, she said. A girl sometimes needs time. Time I still have. I wake up early, the first, I think. The gymnasium is still dark, and the deep breathing of the women around me has synced up somehow overnight. I hear their inhale as I exhale. I spend this time doing one of two things. On my most frustrated days, I would switch between them quickly. On days where I could relax, I pretend as best as I can that the two-inch thick sponge mattress below me is actually the cold enamel of a tub. I will myself to float as best as I can, the sea of breath around me lapping at the edges of my bathtub. On good days, I can spend 40 minutes like this. I can ignore that the humidity is from sweat and not clean water. The other women wake in a ripple, silent like me, but their breath changes. They meditate on the day ahead. Do they prime themselves with prayers or stealing words? On the worst days, I stew in my damp sheets, thinking how this time is wasted, how I should be in a real bath. We only see Aunt Davis moments before we lie down to sleep and thirsting in the morning. She watches us during the night. All my memories of her are tampered by the sedatives they lace our food with before bed, and my frustrations at waking to another day here. Her features are always softer and more natural looking than I expect when I see her in the morning.
She has a clipboard that she keeps track of our cycles on. The lights will flicker on and she visits the beds of a few of us in the morning, wordlessly. She'll pull back the covers to inspect. I guess this is the price of our lodging. She leaves, her shift complete. I have no idea where she goes. Maybe the rest of the building was converted into homes for the aunts. Surely they couldn't keep their old homes. Or maybe they do. Maybe the aunts are complicit because it's the only way they can hold on to that part of their lives. I'm sure it's easy to enjoy the swinging weight of the cattle prods by their side too. I do not know this school, but it feels like my own. We exercise, a brisk walk and nothing exhilarating enough to pose a threat outside most days. Sometimes we only stretch, insides besides our beds. There are exercises we must do to be ready. The aunts decide which we do that day. We march the painted lines of the basketball court straight through where the hoop used to be. A chain-link fence is all that keeps us from the outside. The men hold large guns. They stand six or seven paces from the fence. They often stand closer when we're not there, but move to this platonic distance when we arrive. Our scent might drive them wild otherwise. More than once, Aunt Lydia has shouted at a man to step further away. Five steps won't cut it. It's not my place to know, but I sense that Aunt Lydia does not have the authority to order these men around. They know this too, and comply only after a defiant pause. They think about turning around and yelling back at her, but this would mean seeing us. That is something the men won't risk. They always take the extra step away. We shower three times a week, and always on days the doctor comes. We're seen in private, but he speaks loud enough to be heard by the armed guard on the other side of the door. If the doctor was ever sympathetic before, he shows us no signs of it now. It's a simple assessment of our parts. They see us in what must have been the school nurse's office. There's still a bed in there. It draws my attention each time. The examination never happens on the bed. Its presence makes my heart quicken. Fight or flight. The windows are barred from the outside. It's hard to know which of the women around me are fighters. There's no time to build relationships here. One of the women was forced to talk about her own rape, and then made to admit it was her fault. She held on to her past for a while. She held on to it with raw, hysterical pain, but it was the pain of a survivor. When she returned from a private tutoring session, that had all gone. She wasn't even a victim then. She was the accused. She accepted her crime with a bowed head after that. Some of those here have accepted their role as quickly as the aunts and gunmen outside have. If they miss their family, they hide it well. They eat their full, laced plate of food. They do not hide some of it under the rim of the plate to lessen the dose. They watch the films and only see the propaganda. They miss that it means that there's a resistance out there. They miss that on the TV stand they reel in each day, there's a loose piece of sharp-looking metal. There are ways of rebelling here, but they're small. It was an impressive day when someone stuffed a whole toilet paper roll into one of the four toilets. They weren't flushed until later, so no one knows who put them there. It wasn't me. Which of the women here still had the spark in them to do it? They hide it well. The water ran for at least half an hour before anyone had the sense to turn off the mains or adjust the toilets. And then it happened again when the second toilet was flushed. It kicked up a smell of urine and mould and warped the floorboards so now the doors on the cubicles don't close properly. The aunts had to clean the floor. They would not trust us with the chemicals. They wouldn't trust us with a mop. 
They remove the doors and supply us with individual sheets of paper now as we go in. It did get me thinking about the cistern though. My dad would never pay for a plumber and insisted on doing the work himself. He was not a plumber. He had a manual, an old book which had followed us from our grandfather's house, with a picture of an exploded cistern inside of it. Dotted lines showed where all the bits hooked together. It was this each night I tried to remember. The toilets here were different. The cisterns were high on the wall with a chain to pull. Connecting the chain to a mechanism inside was a cast iron looking bar. I don't know what it was called. The only word I have for it now is shiv. It stopped being part of a toilet to me and changed to the plain sight hiding spot for my key out. We have no clocks, but our world steps forwards and shifts. Aunt Lydia enjoys giving sermons while she watches over us. Sometimes she'll bring news of Gilead's military successes. The Lord gives us more territory every day. It's his will to do so. On more than one occasion, when another aunt came to relieve her, she continued on, eagerly telling her story to her most devout followers. Others, like Aunt Elizabeth, patrol. If we speak, it must not be louder than a whisper. She watches for this, and will try to creep up to hear. When spotted, she'll reprimand, her bludgeoning stick in her hand, squeezing the button making the electric flames flicker between the conductor prongs. Towards the end of her shift, she ceases patrolling and lingers near the door, restlessly poking her head out to see who's coming to replace her. It was on one of these days that I decided to make my move. Some of the girls are eager for their lunch, which felt like it should be coming soon. Standing from my bed not quite upright, cupping my lower stomach, I approached. Not too close, they don't like being that close. I need the bathroom, I said, trying to reveal a little of my pain. Please, I don't think I can wait. Aunt Elizabeth always looked at us with a particular look of disgust, as if we were soiled children she needed to care for. Her lip quivered as she looked at my hands, a slight recoil. Well, she opened the door and stuck her head out to see if anybody else was coming yet. I could slam it right then, her neck caught between the heavy door and the wall. The wind would certainly help me push it closed, but this was short-sighted. Well, just come quickly, I'll take you on my way out. As we left through the door, an excitement rustled in the gymnasium. The women were left alone. They would not be for long, though. Another aunt, her brown dress swishing along the floor, a little too long for her, was approaching. Bathroom. I'll send her right back, Aunt Elizabeth said in response to a surprised look. Before lunch, there was no bathroom duty. All hands were needed in the kitchens. I had picked my time intentionally. At the bathrooms, she took a key from a small selection that she had and opened the wooden box recently nailed to the wall. From inside, she pulled out a toilet paper roll, contemplated for a moment, and then gave me the whole thing. Was that sympathy? Or was it just an eagerness to get out? I whined a thank you and rushed into the bathroom. The lid of the system was painted black plastic and was not as heavy as I feared. It also meant that I was almost silent as I lifted it to unhook the shiv. It was exactly where I expected it to be. I closed the lid on the chain of the handle, so it hung still. It looked odd, but I hoped it was not enough to catch the attention of the aunt. I had planned to pull off my undershirt and stuff it into the toilet to clog it, but the handful of tissue paper I knew would do the job faster. I crammed it in and shoved it as far into the bend as I could. I had to climb onto the seats once again, lift the lid and pull the plastic lever I knew would be there. 
The toilet flushed with enough force to overflow immediately. My disgust as the cold water hit my ankles surprised me. It made me slip and fall onto my feet below. My scream of surprise at least didn't need to be faked. I danced away from the growing wet puddle with more femininity than I have ever done before. Elizabeth looked in and only sighed. Her annoyance was clear and her reaction automatic. She'd dealt with this before and knew it was best to deal with it quickly. Her focus on the water as she approached the toilet with her back to me. I stepped closer, wrapped an arm around her neck and poked the shiv into her back so that she could feel it. She stopped still and even from behind I could see her pale white neck flush. This is the closest I'd been to a person in months, I realised then. She may have been a woman nearing her seventies, but my body still revelled in her warmth for a moment. I did not feel flight or fight then. The adrenaline entirely subsided. All I felt was close. She must have been using some scented oils. There was tea tree there. It reminded me of someone. My throat tightened. Was that tears? It was the metal in my hand that brought me back. I made her lead me to one of the building's exits. This place had been my prison for months now, but I'd never stepped this far away from my bed. A single right turn into an unknown corridor led to a different era. The basketball and field hockey trophies hadn't been removed from the cabinet. There was a wall with class photos from a few years ago now. When another aunt passed by the end of the corridor, I felt more like a child about to be scolded than an adult holding a woman hostage. The aunt stopped for a second to take in what was in front of her. I think she nodded, then she left. In the betrayal, Aunt Elizabeth nearly called out, but felt the sharp of the metal stuck into her. I don't think the shiv could have even cut through her clothing. If there was resistance from Aunt Elizabeth before, there was none now. She led me to her garage. What now? You won't be able to get past the fence, you know. There's nowhere for you to go. I unhooked her prod from her belt and pushed her into the corner. She was just an old woman. I need your clothes, I said. She pulled on the red dress as if she was dressing in the recently butchered hide of an animal. She tugged at it, large on her, to stop it touching her skin. A fruitless battle. She pulled her hands away, expecting the red dye to have stained her. The fabric of the brown dress itched just as much as the red, and it fit too tightly. It worked as expected, though. The guards did not approach. I did not start running until I was past the gates, and a long way past the guards, who barely glanced at my stolen pass. Hello, it's Shane here. I hope you don't mind the sudden turn from our typical format. I just wanted to give this one episode that I really wanted to write and take a stab at what the book might sound like if it took the point of view from a more active character. For those of you that aren't reading the tale alongside the episodes, it might have taken you a little while to realise that it wasn't a chapter from the book. I wrote this one myself, actually. I wrote this chapter a little while ago and have since seen a few authors talking about finding their voice, which is a kind of coming of age in the writing world. Uh, this is when you can pick up a piece of writing and you can tell who was written it by the, the tone and the style used. Whereas novice authors often don't really have that, maybe they're mimicking someone. And in fact, mimicking other authors is a good way of learning how to write, according to these bestsellers that I've been reading about. If I were to write this chapter again, I'd lean more into Alwood's writing style. I think I'd use 
more metaphors. I actually don't use very many metaphors in this, but I could probably lean into that a little bit more because I would love using those. I'd probably add in more details about the environments that we're in, as she quite likes giving specific details to things. But then again, maybe from Moira's point of view, she wouldn't be paying attention to those. She would be paying more attention to the potential escape routes or the weapons that are lingering around in plain sight. I really wanted to make it clear that she was different from the others. People like Offred seem to have settled in and Janine seems to be really struggling with the situation and has almost completely given up, whereas Moira is still looking for a way out. She's still looking for her escape route. Next week, we'll be back to our normal scheduled programming in an episode where I realise that maybe I've been thinking about this book wrong the whole way through. So I guess I'll see you then.